1: Extra Time! Kia ora koutou and welcome into the Extra Time podcast, I'm Clay Wilson. Will it stay or will it go? That's the question preoccupying rugby fans on both sides of the Tasman ahead of this weekend's Bledisloe Cup decider. After Australia's record-breaking victory in Perth last weekend, the prized piece of silverware is very much on the line at Eden Park. Can the Wallabies back up that performance and finally end the All Blacks' 16-year stranglehold on the Cup? Or will we see an emphatic response from Steve Hansen's men, enabling them to extend an unbeaten run at their Auckland fortress that goes all the way back to 1994? The match is also the second of a doubleheader at Eden Park, so what can we expect from the Black Ferns against their Australian counterparts after a convincing 47-10 victory in Game 1 of their Laurie O'Reilly Memorial Trophy last weekend? Joining me now to answer all those questions and more are my RNZ colleagues Joe Porter and Barry Guy in Wellington and with me here in Auckland, Ravinda Hunia. Joe, I'll come to you first. It's not often in recent times there's been this much on the line in the final Bledisloe Cup match of the year. Are you personally feeling more anticipation and excitement than usual around this game?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, often this series has been a foregone conclusion. So it's fantastic that for once uh, there's some real pressure on the All Blacks and there's some real worry, more than just worry, among New Zealand rugby fans. In fact, some are starting to hit the panic button already in a World Cup year. So this is fantastic. I mean, imagine if the, if the Wallabies got up and ended 17 years of Bledisloe Cup dominance by the All Blacks this weekend. It would be Armageddon. New Zealand fans will go absolutely troppo. They'll lose the plot. So there's a huge amount riding on this game. It's quite exciting.
1: Armageddon. Barry <laughs> Ravinder, would you, would you agree? I mean, it certainly would think, cause a, a fair amount of angst to make fans. Geez, think about
2: what's happened this week after one loss in Perth. Imagine if they lost the Bledisloe.
1: Yeah, and ahead of a World Cup as
2: oh. well.
0: I don't know the exact <laughs> meaning of Armageddon, but what's going to happen, of course, is what New Zealand crowds happen when things don't go well is they go completely quiet. So is that the opposite mm. to Armageddon? or, or I'd, Quite possibly. But the definition, yeah. So it'll be really quiet. And uh, if the Aussies get in front, I think it's uh, fantastic because the Aussies are paying $4.50 or something to win this. So that's generating some interest as well. The only unfortunate thing for me, though, is that whenever I bet against the All Blacks, they always win. Oh, so there you go. Maybe I should put (laughs) some money on the Wallabies.
2: At the bookies, the All Blacks are paying more for winning 1-13 to than they're paying for winning by more than 13 points. Which is crazy in my mind. So the T I B think it's going to be a blowout. But anyway, there you go.
3: You got to love it, though, eh? You got to love that. You know it's going to be a tight contest and everything's on the line. And this is what you know you watch sport for. Yes. I like coming into this knowing that it's not safe and I felt like in the past it's you know you feel quite confident that it's going to happen you just don't know what's going to happen, it's excellent That's right,
2: how are the All Blacks going to respond I mean their Ford pack got bullied last week they absolutely got pushed around the park and that frustration was evident with Scott Barrett's red card and all the ill discipline, so I mean how are they going to respond, these guys don't like their reputations or I guess their ability as rugby players being questioned, but they were last week and they will be again this weekend, so how these All Blacks guys turn around and respond to what was a bit of an embarrassment in Perth last week will be really interesting considering their also still trying to develop the game towards the World Cup so yeah it's just it's got a lot going on at this, this clash this weekend the Eden Park fortress the history behind it all it's just kind of all consuming and it's kind of been evident this week
0: I think it's great that uh, the, the record at Eden Park is on the line because yes. of course records mm. are always meant to be broken and I think it'd be, it'd be great if it, if it does happen but as, as you mentioned Joe the World Cup's only five weeks away And what that will mean? Will the All Blacks then be written off by you know the British media for a start? (laughs) And will it help? You know, know. you know,
2: some of the anarchist in me wants them to lose because it'll just be crazy (laughs) in New Zealand next week.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess the All Blacks have been so dominant for so long, especially against the Wallabies, that. You know, even the most patriotic of person, there's got to be a part of you that thinks, man, it's got to make it more interest. This, this is so much more interesting. Oh, yeah. um, you know, imagine what it would be like if we if we did lose. So um, there's certainly no doubt. I mean, even just talking around the tea room here in the office, just the casual supporters or casual followers of rugby are actually really interested in that game, and yes. I think that's a sign in itself. Um, we also saw some pretty frank admissions out of All Blacks camp this week around the attitude and effort. In that first game, so what stood out to everyone about the res- the All Black response to that Perth defeat from the players and from the coaching staff as well?
3: When they returned to Auckland, Dane Coles fronted first, and he started by saying that they took the Australians for granted. Like he was very open and honest about their attitude, and you know that was something that they needed to tighten up. And that, not that they went into the match comfortable, those those weren't his words, but he said, you know, they took it for granted, and. Um, to, to hear that admission and to see their faces, it was, it was seriously, they looked like they were in mourning, him and Sam Kane, uh, Sam Kane sorry. and just the disappointment on their faces was real evident, which I thought was a good thing. I liked that they owned that, um, although Scott Barrett, you know, in the red card had a serious impact on the match, that they recognised that they took full responsibility for it and said that their attitudes just need to change.
0: The All Blacks also said, I think it was actually earlier after the South African game, that perhaps they were playing too much to the game plan and that individuals weren't doing uh, their own thing in a way mm-hmm. that they would, needed to express themselves. And, you know, there are a number of All Blacks on that side that, you know, are exceptional. You know, like, say, Artie there at the front or Rico Ioane on the wing, um, Bowden Barrett that you need some individuals to just do something, as I say, something exceptional and uh, break things open. open. And perhaps they haven't done that in recent time or they're relying too much on on people to do that and therefore they're shying away from it a bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, I I have some doubts because there seem to be so many positions in this all-black side that aren't settled in a way. You know, Sam Whitelock... Dane Coles, I'm assuming Kieran Reid at number 8 because he's a captain and then probably Aaron Smith at halfback and that's it you know I mean, you wouldn't say that the rest are certainties to start in certain positions You know, which is my concern.
1: Yeah, well I think I think the omission of the big three that have been left out it says a lot, I mean Steve Hansen has tried to say that those selections probably would have been made regardless of the result in Perth but I'm not sure I'm totally convinced by that. I mean, he did admit their form could be better. Um, But even just having these issues five weeks out from the Mm. World Cup, it doesn't feel like we've had, as you say, Barry, so many positions up for grabs, essentially. Um, There's no certainty... Um, around a lot of positions in this side, do we do we sort of agree it's the right way to go? I mean, I think 213 caps between those three guys, Smith, Franks and Yuani. Um, I mean, that's a lot of experience to leave out in such a big game. Is that going to be a factor at all?
2: I think so, but maybe it's probably more of a, a reflection of what they didn't do in Perth the week before, um, especially you know, in Owen Franks' case. The props were just well and truly outplayed by their Aussie counterparts. I think Owen Franks carried the ball once and Joe Moody carried it zero times, whereas the Wallabies' props carried the ball at least five times each and made good ground and, and really took some of the pressure off their loose forwards and locks as ball carriers as well. And the, the All Blacks just need a little bit more mobility and, and ball running from their props, and, and Owen Franks just hasn't been providing that of late.
1: Is it the right thing to do? Ravinda, Steve Hansen's talked about keeping an eye on the World Cup, mm. but then in another light talking about how important the Bledisloe Cup is. Mm. Um, is it the right thing to do? I mean, should there be any focus at this point, given the situation they find themselves in, and obviously they don't want to let go of the Bledisloe Cup and the fans don't want to see that mm. happen either. To, to be having one eye on the World Cup, I mean, Steve Henson said that was the main reason for these selections, is they want to mm. see these guys in pressure situations. Should we just have our best team out there or is it the right thing to do to perhaps sacrifice a little bit of your chance in the Bledisloe Cup for success at the World Cup?
3: Well, this takes me, and i you know, you're going to think this is typical Ravinda fashion, but to the Silver Ferns, yeah. this is exactly what Nolene did, you yeah. know, and she wasn't winning games. Uh, she, the whole plan was to work towards a World Cup gold medal, and at the time we were, you know, almost telling her off for it in many ways like why did you make that change why isn't Katrina in the team why did you drop that player why what what the heck is you know is this player doing in the team and then it all came to fruition in the end you just kind of have to maybe hold on to hope that Steve Hansen does know what he's doing but it's also a great way and I agree with Barry on this that you know players need to know that your name isn't going to get you on the team that you have to work hard and you have to perform and if you aren't you're not going to be selected for the side this Letters low Cup match decider, is huge, and especially for a player like Riku Yuani who is missing out and playing in front of a home crowd, at, you know, in Auckland at Eden Park, that that must hurt. Mm. But at the same time, I give kudos to Steve Hansen for saying, you know, you have to step up because this is what we're working towards.
1: Joe, we heard Steve Hansen say yesterday that he's never met an Australian with self-doubt, <laughs> but. I mean, history has to play a little bit of a factor here. Um, uh, uh, You can't eliminate it from your mind completely. I mean, what is it, 33 years since a win at Eden Park? 16 years they haven't had the Bledisloe Cup. Um, Eden Park's record for the All Blacks in general, 42 tests now. Is it 24 years? I mean, all those numbers, they must be creeping into the Wallabies' mind somewhere. Does that play a factor at all, or is this a different Wallabies squad we're seeing?
2: I think it plays a role for sure. You've got guys, there's about five or six veterans in that Wallabies team who are at the last chance saloon in terms of winning the Bledisloe Cup. They've never done it in 100-odd tests playing for the Wallabies in the last decade. They've been around for that long and have never won the Bledisloe Cup. So they're desperate, desperate. They're at the last chance saloon and they would desperately love to grab that trophy at least once in all those years of trying. So there's, there's an element of, of the last chance saloon there. There's probably an element creeping in of external pressure which su- suggests this is the best chance the Wallabies have had and a long, long time to actually wrestle the Bledisloe back. So that adds pressure too, the, the sort of gravity of the occasion and, and how many people think that this is a genuine chance for them to do it. However, it also gives them an element of nothing to lose. People expect the All to bounce back and retain the Bledisloe like they've done for the last 17 years. So I guess the Wallabies can throw everything at at the kitchen sink, really.
0: I think uh, the way the Wallabies start, as you said, they'll be fired up. If they get their hands on the ball and deny the All Blacks for the first Mm. 20 minutes of the game, that could be where it's uh, decided. And uh, so I give them a a good chance because they will be fired up right from the start. I don't think they'll be timid. And so if they can get on top early,
1: I have the Wallabies winning by two. I tell you, another thing that caught my eye is the Wallabies Have made just one change to their study 15 and was injury enforced. It's it's very much tables turned here, isn't it? It's usually we see the wallabies panicking, panicking and reacting and making multiple changes from test to test and here we have the All Blacks doing it, so I think that says a lot about the state of affairs of, of both teams and, and where they're at, especially after that game in Perth last weekend um, of course this game, this low decider is part of a double header at Eden Park with the Black Ferns hosting the Wallaroos in the first game um, the Ferns had a comfortable win, 37 point victory in Perth last weekend it was their 18th straight win over, over Australia, so Ravinda, I guess that would suggest we'd expect them to make it 19 in a row especially being on home ground this weekend
3: Yep, most definitely. At training yesterday, the girls were fired up. And you wouldn't think that they've come off such a big lot, uh, win either because the way they were talking was how they can improve, what they need to do to move forward, um, how they need to help with their combinations even more. Um, Kendra Coxage um, mentioned yesterday that, you know, while they've been having all these great results, the um, the changes in the team happen quite often, you know, with each camp. Um, so working in those combinations, they've lost, you know, the likes of um, uh, Marsilli and Linda Itunu. So you know, still trying to work out those veterans and and bring in this new blood. So they've got plenty to work on. But you, yes, you would expect that they would take this game this weekend.
1: We saw they had a series in San Diego recently. Um, Barry or Joe down there. They had mixed results in that series, so I guess that would have been a a real confidence-boosting performance for them to convincingly put away Australia in that first test last weekend.
2: Yeah, they were pretty rusty over in San Diego, self-confessed as well. Um, I mean, they don't get a lot of international matches, so I guess it is Mm. kind of hard for them to come together. They were playing the top five sides in the world over in San Diego, and France were really on the rise. They gave them a fright, but they managed to sort of... By the time the last game against England, they put in a pretty decent performance, especially the first half was really clinical. I think they might have made like 98% of their tackles and barely dropped a ball. It's kind of fell off a little bit in the second half but they still won that game uh, convincingly. So that last game they came right and obviously we saw in Perth the week just gone. They were really, really impressive. So the ultimate goal is building towards the 2021 World Cup and their title defence in New Zealand. So they are building depth and testing out combinations but they they have a a wealth of experience still in that team and they're, um, they're just going from strength to strength, really, as they build towards that 2021 World Cup. So I, just, I see it again, another big result. And the thing is, it's more about just than, than just winning for the Black Fans this weekend. This is their last chance this year. Mm. I'm not even sure they've got any more tests, to be perfectly honest. No, they don't. But this is their last chance this year to play in front of a home crowd in New Zealand, a, f- a sold out Eden Park, and promote the women's game. Now, look, we all know that it's been rising and, and gaining momentum and ascendancy, but what this they can do with a really clinical and standout performance on Saturday night and beating the Wallaroos is showing the New Zealand rugby public, the less educated, the ones that haven't seen the women's game yet, that the women's game is just as entertaining, is just as strong and powerful as the men's game. They play a great brand of rugby and it's well worth watching. So this is actually more than just about beating Australia. It's about putting on a show that says New Zealand women's rugby is really worth buying into and really worth getting behind.
1: Speaking of the entertainment... I was thinking about that result last weekend and, and this eighteen match win streak. They've never lost to Australia. I mean, would we like, or do you think it's of benefit for New Zealand, the New Zealand rugby public, and the and the Black Ferns in general to see the Wallaroos more competitive? I mean, or are we happy to just see the Black Ferns continuing to dominate this? I guess you can't call it a rivalry, but this matchup with with Australia, because uh, I mean, it's like it was with the All Blacks we were talking about earlier when they just keep winning, I guess to a certain extent it becomes a little bit less interesting. So, I mean, would we like to see Australia more competitive and how does that happen?
2: Well, I, I mean, the Blackburns will tell you that Australia are more competitive this year after having sort of two years of a domestic competition, started to build a bit more depth and reap the rewards there. And they'll say that that sort of, the, the scoreline didn't really reflect the toughness of the match in Perth. They just said that, you know, the Blackfins were actually a little bit surprised just how amazing they were themselves in the first half. So... I think that Australia are definitely a team that's on the rise. They're not yet in the top five world rankings, but they're climbing, climbing, climbing. Um, and they'll keep getting better. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be good to have that level of competitiveness. But for now, I think we just need the Black Ferns to be winning towards that World Cup title defence, to be playing a good brand of rugby that gets people interested and involved.
3: To be fair, I think if the Black Ferns weren't getting the results, I mean we're talking yeah, about right. how yeah. how they're you know trying to put the women's game on on the you know main stage and have eyes on this game and watching and things like that. You know that's already the struggle. If they weren't getting the results, I think you know they'll be ten steps back. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, so as long as I think right for right now, if they're getting those results, people are paying attention.
1: Well, whichever way you cut it up, I guess it's certainly a big night of rugby ahead. But let's leave it there for now. Thanks to you, Joe, Ravinda and Barry, for joining me. You guys enjoy these two test matches. So we're going to change tack now. Cricket is returning to the Commonwealth Games after a 24-year absence. Organisers have confirmed the programme for Birmingham 2022 will include an eight-team women's T20 tournament. The announcement comes hot on the heels of an increase in funding for the country's top women players. Leading players in the White Ferns can now earn up to $80,000 a year under a newly negotiated player agreement with New Zealand Cricket. The minimum retainer will be 44000 moving on to 64000 with up to 16000 available in match fees. Previously, the most a White Fern could earn was 48000 White Ferns captain Amy Satterthwaite told sports editor Stephen Houston that the announcements are a major boost for not just the women's game, but all of cricket. When we first
4: got wind of the fact that it might be uh, an option that was something that the players were really hoping would, would come through. I think you have these prestigious events that when you grow up as a young athlete, you, you know a lot about, you know, you hear a lot about, and you certainly would love the opportunity to be a part of it. So for that to, you know, come true, I think there'd be a, a lot of people that you might consider playing on for a couple more years to, to have the opportunity to be a part of it too.
0: Maybe an opportunity for the White Ferns to maybe put some of those recent major tournaments behind them too. Another opportunity to, to prove yourself, because things haven't gone quite as you might have hoped on some of those bigger tournaments, have they?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think we've been disappointed with the way that we've played in the last couple of World Cups, and we know that we can be better than that, and we know that we've got a lot of work to do as well. But I think the the new um, Master Agreement that's just come out as well creates a platform that allows us to to work really hard on our skill sets and improve individually and as a team and and hopefully compete um, more so on the world stage at, at the likes of these events, which is only a good thing.
0: What does something like that new Players Agreement mean?
4: To be honest, I think it means a lot of different things. I think firstly, obviously, from a white fence perspective, having the ability to have more players that are able to train um you know, more full time um, is only going to mean that we're going to improve individually and then as a team, compete on the world stage and push a lot of these top teams and I think we've seen the likes of Australia and England in the way that they have invested in the you know, top players and and seeing the improvement um, in their skill sets and the way that you know they are playing the game as well. So that's exciting from that point of view. But um, alongside that, I think the inclusion of the domestic players and the framework that we've created around that um, can't be underestimated and the impact that, that that's going to have. I think you can't um, compete globally and and unless you've got some depth and and really built on that. So certainly from that perspective, it's um, you know brilliant to have that involved.
0: Is this the start, though? I mean, the the numbers obviously still pale compared to to the men's game.
4: Oh, we have to start somewhere. I think when you look at the overall investment in and the way that it's you know, more than doubled, um, you know, we have to acknowledge that it's been a big improvement. But of course, like you say, that you know, we want you know, always to improve, and I think that's what we have to acknowledge here is that it is a a framework that's going to create um, something that we can build on in the future. I think it acknowledges an investment from New Zealand cricket and acknowledges that they're going to continue to improve and, and grow that investment. So, yes, it's a starting point, and yes, it's not going to happen overnight, but it certainly is a, a massive step in the right direction.
0: Parity is presumably the ultimate goal?
4: Oh, I think you can go around in circles a lot with that. I think there's always the argument around, you know, what do the the women bring in? Um, how much cricket do we play? There's, there's different aspects that you can look at it. But I think overall it, it's looking at the fact that if men and women both play the game, uh, you've then got more involved um, in the game. In the future, you've got mothers that have been involved in the game that will, you know, might have daughters or sons that they can encourage to, to take part in it. So I think in a roundabout way, there's still a real um, positive effect from, from women playing the game and, and having more involvement. So you know, the closer we can get to that, um, obviously, the better.
1: White Ferns captain Amy Satterthway there talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. And that's it for this week's edition of Extra Time. Thanks for tuning in and thanks again to Joe, Ravinda and Barry for joining me. Remember you can keep up with all the latest in sport by checking us out on the web rnz.co.nz forward slash sport or by giving us a follow on Twitter. Our handle is at rnzsport. We'll catch you all next week. Bye for now.